I'm joined by Johnny Goldstone, Managing Director of Green Tomato Cars. Thank you very much for joining me, Johnny. Nice to meet you, Daniel. Thank you. You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> but I have to tell you, we did have a go at setting up green tomato cars in the States as well. I read and about by that. By the time I left the States, I was saying tomato, <laughs> and all of our American customers were saying tomato, which was a sort of wonderful thing. Um, so, so now things have gone full circle again. Yeah, it's, um, it gets very confusing after a while of um, hearing it one way, then start saying it another way. Sometimes I start saying tomato and privacy. And Sounds beautiful. Sounds yeah. beautiful the way you say it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, a lot of people now, even though I'm from California, they think I'm, I'm Canadian because I have this sort of softer thing. So that I'm That's a whole other debate to get into, right? Yeah. Whether that's a better thing than being Californian or not. I, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, probably best to avoid it. Where, where are you taking this call from? I am taking this call from our office, which is in Brentford. Okay. Um, which, uh, whether you know London or you don't know London, a lot of people don't know Brentford. It is on the western side of London, mm -hmm. um, and actually the view out of my window, uh, which I guess I could share with you for a second. Yeah, if you'd like. It's not going to mess crazy. up your... Uh... The view out of my window is both the M4... I know exactly uh, where you are. ...which is the motorway out to Heathrow, and the A4, which is the road underneath it. So... Whatever the traffic is doing in West London, we kind of know about it first, which is pretty handy. I'm uh, sure it being, is. Being in the, uh, the taxi industry as we are. Um, and so, yeah, this is where our operations center is based. That's a cool, cool spot. I actually know exactly where that is. I've driven past that, um, that Audi dealership. Yeah, the Audi dealership is cool. And even cooler is our office on the other side of the road. Which sure. If you drive by at night, you can see our logo on the wall um, uh, we're not allowed to advertise on the building which is a shame because it would have been prime prime <laughs> advertising space but there you go so you just have a big logo inside yeah that that's cool that's the way to exactly, get around that rule exactly um yeah very cool and so you mentioned you're a taxi and then uh one of the cool things is uh about green tomato cars and i would say probably the coolest thing about it in many ways is that you have the largest zero emission fleet in London or is it the UK? In the universe. In the universe, all right. Potentially, according <laughs> to our own research. Um, but certainly in the UK and as awesome. far as we're aware, actually anywhere, certainly in terms of hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, if we're looking at pure plug-in electric vehicles, uh -huh. uh, I don't know if somebody somewhere has more, possibly in China, okay. uh, if they're running hundreds of electric vehicles there. Uh, and I know that there are some uh, countries in Europe, for example, which have a lot of uh, Teslas as taxis, right. um, which are he heavily subsidized here. That's not an option um, mm. in a you know, commercially sustainable way, just because they're a bit too expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we, uh, we've embraced really ever since we started whatever the newest technology is yeah. in terms of minimal emissions uh, so we were the first ones to use hybrids back in the day when people didn't know what they were a lot of people still don't really know what they are um, we were the first ones to have a plug-in hybrid we actually okay. retrofitted a extra battery pack into one of our first toyota prius 18 months before Toyota invited us to the unveiling of the first ever plug-in hybrid, which was cool. Uh, so we turned up in our plug-in hybrid and they go, hey, what's that? 
Um, and then when commercially viable uh, pure plug-in vehicles like uh, the Renault Fluence and the BYD6 came to market, mm-hmm. we've tested all of those. Um, and our commitment is to using the lowest emitting vehicle that's suitable for the job. So that does the job of transporting passengers from A to B. Um, and at the moment, and maybe we'll get into it, whilst the electric vehicles, a lot of them are nice and the range has improved significantly, yeah. the charging infrastructure is still a major issue. And so is the cost to some extent. We've gone with hydrogen for the time being because the range and the charging time are both excellent, yeah. which in this industry are sort of, you know, they, they are the must-haves. Um, before everything else it's a really good point because um yeah you're i mean you're constantly as as a taxi driver you're constantly on the move you don't really have the opportunity to stop often um, correct and actually there is on your website speaking of sharing screens before we started um you had that uh really cool uh little graph and chart that talks about the difference between charging times of like a regular yeah. um I can share my screen so we can take a look at that. Where would I find that? Do you remember off the top of your head? Absolutely not at all. It may well be <laughs> in one of our blogs, uh, okay. uh, which is in the news section. Yep. Okay, well, maybe I can click around while we're talking. This is but... a really mean interview. You know, you're testing me on my own website as if I would know this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah so not I think very it's fair in the at news all. section, yeah. Um, I will take a look. In the meantime, I, w- I wanted to know how big is the fleet? Because last I saw, I think there was about 600. Yes, yeah, so that's the overall fleet. And mm-hmm. That's made up of cars that we own. Um, okay. And also cars on our network which is a platform in a similar way in the concept to what Uber and Lyft have. So these are drivers who own their own cars, professional drivers in their own car. And if they are suitable for our models, so typically hybrid or plug-in, then we will allow them to work on our platform as well. And there are various advantages for those drivers to working with us compared to say Uber, uh, most obviously in terms of the rates that we pay them and also the sort of fact that they don't have drunk people being sick in the back of the car. Uh, so so that's something that a lot of drivers like about working with us. And they use their own cars in that? So that side of the fleet are using their own cars. And then uh, about half of the fleet is our own vehicles. Um, so plug-in, hybrid, zero emission um, that we either rent out to professional drivers or we provide to professional drivers who we employ. Um, to to work solely for us, so yeah. that's that's it's quite a broad mix. Okay. Um, because essentially, we want anyone who wants to drive an environmentally friendly car and who's going to provide a good level of customer service. If they want to drive for us, we want to have them on the on the team. Makes sense. And why why uh, I mean why did you specifically say about uh, the Uber drivers who don't want people being sick in the back of their car? Why, why won't that happen with green tomato cars? Uh, we have a strict policy about not being sick in the back of the car. <laughs> no, we have um, our target market is really B2B. So 90% of our customer base is corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so typically to and from work, meetings, airports, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, you would hope that they would be less likely to have had a few too many drinks. Uh, we do have a very loyal following of uh, consumer clients as well, mm. um, who again tend not to be the sort of people who are going to be 
um, a little the worse for wear right. at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so it's not the pub and club market isn't something that we really market to. Um, you know, each to their own, and we understand that that market exists, but it's not our aspiration. And from having a sustainably uh, or a commercially sustainable model, as well as an environmentally sustainable model, uh, it really doesn't suit what we're doing. I mean, if you look at Uber and the well-known fact that they lose billions of pounds a year, right. um, you know, it's all very well to get the customers in the car. Um, but if you're doing that at unsustainable prices, then it's not of interest to a company that actually wants to be profitable. Makes makes sense. Um, the I'm trying to think of which order to talk about this in because the the B2B part is really interesting. I, I guess um, so. What's really cool about Green Tomato Cars is that um, you are actually a carbon negative company. That's right. So how is because you well, you, what I read is that you double offset yeah. all carbon uh, emissions. So what what does double offsetting mean? And I, I guess what does offsetting mean first of all? So in terms of offsetting, and we work with a a, a partner called Natural Capital Partners. So they are an offsetting organization mm -hmm. what we do is we measure the emissions from our operations um so is that predominantly, everything predominantly our fleet um so the mileage the the emissions per kilometer the emissions per mile multiplied by the number of miles that we do equals our emissions mm -hmm. um that is not an absolutely uh, guaranteed accurate figure uh, because it's based on the manufacturer's cycle. So we weren't happy to say, well, we're just going to offset what the manufacturer guide numbers are. We know that those are prone to imperfection. Right. Um, so therefore, to make sure that we were being much more than conservative, we said, well, we will double that number. So for every 100 grams, supposedly, that are emitted based on the mileage um, figures for that vehicle type and year, uh, we will offset 200 grams so we will pay for schemes that will plant trees or enable carbon emission reduction in other parts of the world and locally as well to do the equivalent of sequestering 200 grams of carbon for every hundred that we emit so that's how wow. we become that's what offsetting is essentially and that's how we become carbon neutral or so negative that, rather so that's um just the calculations of that must be, that must keep you busy because if you have, let's say 600 cars in your fleet, right? And then you have yeah. however many drivers with their own cars, do they need to, um, I mean, are you basically tallying up the amount of miles or kilometers they drive every? So we are measuring the emissions of every vehicle on our fleet um, by um, reference to the distance that we, that that vehicle travels from when we accept a booking or from when the driver accepts a booking. So we, we through our software, can see the mileage that the driver covers when they accept a booking Got it. and the mileage that they cover when they have the passenger in the car. So if it's one of the owner drivers who own their own vehicle, mm -hmm. that's what we're going to be offsetting, the mileage that they've done essentially covering one of our bookings we're not covering all of their private mileage and everything else yeah of course yeah. when it's one of the vehicles that we own on our fleet we have an option between all of the mileage or just the mileage that the driver is covering 
when they come out to work. So our drivers who take our vehicles also use those vehicles for their private use as well. They keep them, they don't return them to a depot. So we don't offset their private mileage, but all of the mileage that they do whilst they are working, whilst they are logged onto our system, whether it's on a live booking or not, we are monitoring, capturing that mileage, and therefore that's what we're offsetting. And that's all done through a, a software of some sort. Software database, and then, yeah. yeah. Makes sense, yeah. I'm actually, just laughing at myself because I'm not really sure why I thought that at the end of the year, you're going into every single car, turning it on, being like, oh, that's uh, car one, two, three, four, five. They have this many miles. Thankfully yeah. not. Thankfully <laughs> not. That would be quite the job. <laughs> Um, and I, I'm really interested in the actual projects as well that you're um, you're working on. You mentioned planting trees, and I saw that you uh, basically provide improved cook stoves in. Yes, Canada. is that still yeah, a, right. a big project you're supporting? So that's something that we've recently moved on to our next project. Okay. Uh, and I have to confess, I don't think we've updated the website with the new details. Mm. Um, but this is uh, water filtration and purification systems. Yeah. Uh, so, and the biggest challenge, especially in the developing world, is drinkable, clean water. Yeah. Uh, access to that and the energy intensity of uh, achieving that. Uh, so that's something that we're we're working on now through Natural Capital Partners. So uh, we will update the website um, and uh, and send you a link for that when it's when it's done. So the and then. Also, you, you do plant the 200 trees per, yeah. per year. Is, and are those in London or are they all over the UK? Yeah, so we do some local stuff. Um, so within two miles of where we're working in local parks. Cool. Uh, and we'll sometimes, uh, as part of that engagement and trying to be seen and be helpful in our community, we'll actually send out some staff volunteering to do that. Nice. Um, and also some, some of the planting takes uh, place further afield as well. So... We're not too uh, too hands on with that, but again, that's through a, a you know a partner that knows what they're doing, uh, and we're happy to let them get on with that. Other than to the extent that they, uh, you know, it's fun for our guys to go along and do a bit of volunteering from time yeah, to time. That is nice. How um, could, I saw that you um, that if you transport a mother in labor to the hospital, you'll plant a tree and name ah. name it after the baby. How many times has that actually happened? That probably now. I'd say there are two or three a year where that has happened. Really? So we were doing we were doing quite a lot uh, up until um, five or six years ago. Not because we've suddenly gone anti mothers in labour, but because since the advent of Uber in the UK, our share of the consumer market has reduced quite significantly I because see. Uber has has massively reduced uh, the pricing, and it's all become a bit of a race to the bottom. And we talked earlier that that's not really commercially sustainable so we sort of said okay we're not going to play that game yeah which means we have fewer consumers using us that than we used to and obviously the number of mothers in labor are just going to be a proportion of that so but i would say over the uh 15 or so years we've been in business there's probably 30 to 40 little trees that have been planted now wow. and i should I don't know how easy it would be to find the earliest one that we did that was in our first year, but I'd like to think that's now grown somewhat. Um, yeah, it should be. Uh, and that's up in the Caledonian rainforest. So yeah, we're, uh, that's quite a cool thing. And we sent a certificate to, uh, to the parents and we, people love that. So. Oh, that's so cool. What a great, yeah, that's such a great way to remember uh, that. Yeah. Day. Um, 
That's super cool. The the um the hydrogen fuel cars, which um I've never actually been inside a fuel a hydrogen fuel cell car. Um how is it is it like really different? Can you tell the difference between that and let's say a hybrid like a Prius or a um an all electric car? So in terms of the difference as a passenger experience, it's pretty minimal. Okay. Um, the with the cars that we run, so we run the Toyota Mirai. Yeah. The current model of that car has a central console both between the front seats and the back seats. So there's only two passenger seats in the back. So in terms of the interior space, it feels a bit more like an executive car because you have your own space on the left side of the car mm -hmm. and your own space on the right side of the car and you can't sit a third person in between even if you wanted to. Um, so yeah, we were talking about what it's like inside the, the Mirai. So the other, the obvious thing is the display uh, up at the front there yeah. on the dash uh, that shows you, again, like an ordinary uh, car or especially like an electric vehicle, what your range is. Um, but there's a sort of cool little schematic of how things are working, similar to the uh, original Prius schematic. So, um, yeah, it's not like, oh, wow, this is a totally different thing. This isn't a car. It's, it's actually pretty similar. Uh, and then, obviously, the ride experience is, is silent, mm -hmm. um, similar to an electric vehicle, normal uh, plug-in electric vehicle. Uh, and it's electricity either way, so you still get that slight sort of whir and whine as, as you, uh, you know, put pick up the torque yeah. um, and then the other thing you would notice at the end of the journey if you wanted to there is actually a little button that allows the uh, the vehicle to uh, discharge the water from the exhaust pipe so what is collecting being generated whilst you're uh, doing the uh, electrolysis uh, to create the uh, the energy the byproduct is h2o and you can actually just press a little switch and that will dribble out the exhaust pipe um, like a, a sort of shower in a cheap hotel uh, at the end of your journey. So uh, that's the only other difference, really. I found the... I'm going to share my screen here. Um, I found it. So this is the... Uh, this is where it says... I'm not sure how big this is for you um, on the phone screen, but uh, there's this little table in the middle of the of the blog yes post. um so you're talking about the fuel cell electric vehicle which is on the right that's the hydrogen yeah correct and then bev stands for battery was it battery electric vehicle yeah battery electric exactly and then you have your petrol or just standard fuel or like a gasoline spot on um and what's amazing is that the with the battery um there there are like it says here, um, there are quite a, a lot of public charging points across London. Um, it's just interesting that it takes four hours per 100 miles to charge. Um, and the range. Yeah, so that would be on a fast charge, as it says yeah. there, at seven kilowatts. Obviously, there are now rapid uh, and oh, super see. rapid chargers, but there just aren't anything like enough of them, and they're not in the right places. Hmm. Um, so I drive a battery electric vehicle um, for, for my commute. Um, and the number of times I have needed to charge, there are plenty of apps that show you where the available charges are, and you turn up at one, and either somebody else is plugged in, or even more frustratingly, a normal uh, internal combustion engine vehicle is just parked on it, uh, and there's 
there is some enforcement, but it doesn't help me because I need to charge my car at that yeah, time. Exactly. So, yeah, listen, it, it's early, early days still in this whole um, uh, evolution of, of commercial and consumer vehicles. Uh, so that's something that's not surprising, but when you come to looking at what is going to be operationally viable for a business like us, it's just not something that we can uh, live with. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what, what I find interesting is that the, the time it takes, um, to get up and running is quite, quite a while considering that, you know, if you're driving a cab, you don't yeah. want to have that much downtime and plus hundred to 150 miles. I, I imagine even in London, um, I mean, going to and from Heathrow a few times or Gatwick. Correct. Uh, that's an uh, average day for one of our drivers, hundred, 120 miles is an average day. Obviously, there'll be some who are doing significantly more and a few doing a bit less. Yeah. Um, but if you're working, you know, pretty much as a professional driver, that's the sort of mileage you would expect to be doing on the days that you're working. And that, that, that I'm basically bring, building this up to the point where I think that the hydrogen fuel cell makes so much more sense. I mean, three to four minutes to f- refuel, uh, which is almost the same time as just a regular yeah. petrol call, car. Plus, you can go... Um, 200 to 250 miles well in fact i guess the numbers for both the battery and the fuel cell electric vehicles are slightly out of date already okay. now so our drivers in the same vehicle are now getting uh an average of 300 miles on a full tank with uh, um, the hydrogen with the hydrogen i think wow. to be fair to the battery electric you know the the range of some of those vehicles has definitely increased as well makes sense um and there are more vehicles available, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the for for a hydrogen fuel cell driver, they they may be refueling twice or three times in a week, um, so that's taking very little time. The downside, to be absolutely candid, is that there are not hundreds or even tens of hydrogen refueling stations mm-hmm. um, around London. There are seven at the moment. Um, and so clearly we had to take a view on whether that in itself was sufficient. Yeah. Um, the good news for us is they are located uh, typically in fairly good accessible places compared to where our work either originates from or ends up at, mm-hmm. uh, especially near Heathrow Airport. And there is one at Gatwick Airport. So if we're picking you up from Heathrow, we can go and, uh, refuel quickly before we get you. If we're dropping you off at Heathrow, after we drop you off, we can go and refuel. And our drivers are going to Heathrow on average once a day at least. Yeah, so re- refueling two or three times a week isn't really isn't going to be an issue. Got it. It just seems like such a. I mean, it, maybe it's because the the cost of the cars are much higher. At least on that, mm-hmm. um, it was saying at the time it was fifty thousand pounds plus per per car. So yeah, maybe that's why they're not. There aren't more of these hydrogen fueling stations, but it, it just seems that it just seems to make more sense somehow to go. Yeah, it's a real chicken and egg situation in terms of much more so in terms of the hydrogen rather right, than exactly, the yeah. battery. The stakeholders who you need to have in play are the manufacturers, the refueling stations, and all of the suppliers to them, and then somebody who's going to run the vehicle. Yeah. Unless you get all three of those. Uh, you know, you can't have two without uh, without the third part. So actually, we've entered a consortium with refueling stations and with manufacturers hmm. um, 
in order to get everybody committed so that all the chickens and all the eggs happen essentially at the same time, um, which I'm sure isn't biologically possible, but you know what I mean. Um, and actually, as a, as a template for innovation, where you've got a multifaceted, multi-stakeholder infrastructural requirement, it's been fantastic. It's been really impressive because we've all got the same goal yeah. uh, and we're all utterly dependent on one another but we're all experts and specialists in completely different things. So this has brought us all together, uh, like say, all pulling in the same direction and knowing that the other one is there to be relied on. So I think there's a lot to learn for, for many different uh, sectors and industries mm. uh, for how, how you can take this approach. Um, yeah. And it takes, it takes people coming together right at the beginning uh, and committing to something. But, you know, that obviously makes sense if, if that commitment is there. Yeah, I think that I think that's the way to do. It. I mean, we're all we're all in this together, as you said. So it you know it certainly does make sense to work together towards that common goal. And uh, I, I I mean I imagine it's going to be. Uh, I, I'm sure every year it gets better and better, and we get closer and closer to achieving these goals. It's really just taking taking the time, uh, being patient, really. And yeah, listen, there is a clear investment of time and money and opportunity to make these things happen, especially at such early adoption stage. Yeah. But if you believe in what you're doing, um, which we and our partners do, and, and you want to reap the benefits, if it goes well, clearly there are benefits of, of being first, understanding the technology and how the marketplace has come about and having a you know, a strong position in that place, mm -hmm. then that, that is the reward for, for taking the risk. So, you know, it's, uh, it's something we're really happy we've gone ahead with. Yeah, I think, I think that's awesome. Um, I was just, just remembered the question I wanted to ask earlier, which was um, you're, because you're double offsetting, I'm totally switching uh, sure. topics here, is going back to the double offsetting is um, uh, do you, any of any of your clients, the corporations, do they ask you for, um, you know, how many miles that their employees have driven? Yeah. So or, some of, some of our clients are really really keen on this. Um, we tend to have a, a split between of clients who are using our service in terms of the uh, ecological uh, background. Some of them are using us because they genuinely care. Mm -hmm. Some of them are using us because they want to appear to genuinely care. And some of them just don't care, but they're using us purely because of the service or the price or whatever other reason. Hey, it works. Um, whatever so, works. <laughs> so for the ones who genuinely care, that tends to be the most obvious way that we find out about it mm -hmm. um, because actually they will be asking us for that information. Now, we include that information on invoices and management information that we provide anyway on a journey-by-journey -journey basis, mm -hmm. but there will be some customers who will ask for it in a different format or based on a different a set of criteria uh, that we will supply to them uh, because they're then going to take that information and put it in their own um, CSR reporting, right. uh, annual report and what have you. So yeah, we're directly feeding those numbers to them to then be able to report on the, the impact of their transport. Yeah, that's that's what exactly what I was curious to know is if um, since you are doing so much, well, first of all, you're not, con I imagine for most of your trips, you're not actually contributing any carbon as long as it's one of the all-electric vehicles yeah yes that's right so actually the cleaner our fleet gets the less we offset 
Um, oh, so, of course, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. counterintuitive um, in that way, isn't it? It, it is a little <laughs> bit, um, but that's because of the less harm we're doing in the first place. Yeah. So that's a good, good thing. That's cool. And so the, the data that the companies are looking for, I mean, you're, you're saying that because you said, you know, in addition to what's included on the invoice, uh, some of these companies ask for more specific things or presented in another way. Is there any kind Just of... Just the same information presented in a different way. So, so you know, as uh, procurement departments that we work with, and we're working with major organizations that will have large procurement departments, and they're not just looking at price, they're looking at quality of service, yeah. duty of care standards, all of that sort of thing. And so they'll be looking at a whole range of things from um, punctuality and performance metrics, waiting time. They love to know who are their top 50 employees who incur waiting time charges by booking a car and then not getting in it when they need it uh, and all that sort of thing. Uh, and so as part of that whole suite of metrics, they'll also be looking at the uh, the emissions from, from those journeys. One of the really exciting things that we're now moving towards more is uh, car sharing or ride sharing. Um, yeah. So that will be something else where they'll start to see even further both carbon savings but also financial savings uh, where we're enabling our passengers or our bookers to um, especially on a on a on a company by company basis to say okay if you can see two people who are going from the headquarters to the airport or one's going to the airport and one's going somewhere to a hotel meeting near the airport and they're traveling within 10 minutes to each other then we're going to mandate that that they travel together mm. unless they have a really strong reason not to. Um, and that's something clearly that takes um, willpower and, and um, effort on the part of the client, but also we need the technology uh, and the practical know-how to, to do that at our end as well. So that's something that we've always offered. Uh, the take-up has been actually much smaller than you would expect, mm. um, but we're really sort of working hard to to improve that functionality and uh, make it easier for clients to to mandate that across their business uh, there's yeah. actually quite a few moving parts to it that if they're not all there working <laughs> it becomes a bit of an obstacle to adoption yeah i can imagine the logistical planning around coordinating yeah. all of that is uh, a bit mind-boggling um and what is, and this again, just switching topics completely, because I, I noticed on your website that you're ISO uh, 14001 That's certified. Right. What, what is that? Because I've seen that before. So ISO is an international standard, so like a mm -hmm. benchmark okay. um, for essentially good practice in business, best practice. Uh, ISO 14001 is the environmental um performance plan that a business has. So ranging all across uh, the business from understanding the requirements of your stakeholders from an environmental perspective and how you meet those uh, to your supply chain and working with sustainable suppliers um, through to what you do from a community perspective, what you do to train your staff, how you communicate um, externally as well as internally, wow. um, metrics, a whole load of stuff. So we're monitoring the uh, electricity consumption of our offices um, all the way through to um, monitoring the offsetting, uh, doing the offsetting, training staff to understand what it's all about, that kind of thing. So that, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff to keep track of. Um, and, and you have to actually report on that. And there are people are there are people coming in who yeah. check, check on you, yeah, like so you including your recycling. Audit. 
you have an annual audit and you have internal audits that we run monthly. Uh, we have quarterly management meetings to check that everything's on track. Um, so yeah, there's, there's quite a bit to it. It's one of those programs that sort of the more you do it, uh, the more straightforward it, it becomes because it becomes not just a routine, but it just becomes something that you are inherently better at yeah. the more, the more that you're doing it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a full undertaking. Um, but now that we've been doing it, we've been ISO 14,001 accredited for, um, 10 years now. So oh, right, okay. it's, it's sort of something that's relatively, uh, well entrenched in how we run the business. Out of curiosity, were you excited when you first got the certification? Oh yeah. It was like sort of sitting an exam. So you were <laughs> sort of nervous and excited and then relieved, uh, all, all in great measure. Yeah. Is that something that you just do kind of more for yourself or is there uh, other benefits that end up coming as a result? So both. You do it for yourself to actually make sure you're practicing what you preach. Um, right. And there are absolutely clear commercial benefits to that nowadays, especially in the corporate marketplace uh, that we operate in in London. Um, as part of any uh, tender uh, process for a large account, one of the requirements expectations will be that you have an ISO accreditation. Uh, one of them will be that you have a fleet of hybrid or plug-in vehicles. Um, so yeah, this is becoming very much part of the mainstream agenda for the, for the corporate, corporate marketplace. So it's almost like you can't really even do business without it almost. Almost, almost not. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I'm conscious of time here. So I, I want to, uh, ask one of my favorite questions, uh, to inspire me and, and maybe anyone listening is um, uh, aside from running the uh, green tomato or tomato cars and being super conscious about the exhaust that you put out into the world. Plus, I mean, you're tracking everything. What, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, at home or even at the office to be environmentally friendly. So on a personal level, yeah. Uh, on a personal level. So I've certainly become much more mindful of, waste in all formats i think the you know society is becoming ever more mindful of that so yeah. i'm uh, drink drinking my my water i've been I noticing that yeah draw from the tap uh <laughs> into, from my uh my water bottle that i keep with me religiously he takes a drink swig slurp <laughs> um and likewise the coffee cup um i drive a plug-in electric vehicle to and from work unfortunately i have to commute that way because public transport takes me an hour and a half because of the this particular journey so it's an hour and a half on a good day it's two hours on a bad day and the, the drive is 45 minutes so that that's a necessary evil but at least it's uh, a battery vehicle um and in fact what's great we recycle and everything that's part of our iso commitment but also just good good common sense um you know, printing as little as possible, really obvious stuff. Mm -hmm. And then what's really nice is I have three children, uh, which in itself isn't that environmentally friendly, yeah. um, but they are aged uh, currently between three and 10, and they are so aware of environmental issues, whether it's because the cartoons they're watching on TV are mm -hmm. uh, telling them all about recycling and reusing, wow. um, or it's because they're genuinely interested in these issues. So that's quite nice. Um, at home, they're, they're sort of very uh, in, into all of, all of that stuff as well. So we are far from 
uh, a sort of hippie family that is recycling and composting everything and yeah. only puts out one bag of garbage a year. I mean, I sort of hear those stories and try and understand how that can be possible. And, and it doesn't, doesn't really, can't really fathom it. But um, yeah, I think we're trying to, trying to live a, you know, inverted commas, good life. Um, and, you know, in business and in your private life, the, the more efficient and economical you are about stuff, you know, it's just a, a win-win anyway. So why, who wouldn't? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, had, I actually had no idea about these cartoons. Uh, yeah. That's really interesting. What a, well, yeah. listen, Peppa Pig is a whole world awaiting. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I guess I'll, I'll have to start watching Peppa Pig now to get inspired. I'd, I'd like to think this will come up in every <laughs> podcast that you do from now on. I hope so. I certainly do. Um, and for the people who are listening, uh, where can we find Green Tomato Cars if they want to book cars or start working with you um, on a corporate level? Where, where can we go to get updates as well? So Green Tomato or GreenTomatoCars.com. Um, some people spell it with an E at the end of tomato, which we don't encourage. Um, and we're on Twitter as Green Tomato Cars as well and Facebook. So all the usuals, all the usuals, I would say. Um, so yeah, be, uh, look, look forward to hearing from uh, many of your, your listeners and subscribers. I can't wait for them to all reach out to you as well. Yes, just not all at the same time, but otherwise yeah. we look forward to it. Once the logistics is ready, and then you can, um, then you can start taking all of them from one place to another. Uh, Absolutely. With, with the carpooling. Yeah. Awesome, Johnny. Well, thank you very much for your time. This was really interesting and uh, good luck. Keep up, good. The, keep up the great work with being the largest zero emission fleet in London. Thanks a lot for your time. Yeah. Great speaking with you. Likewise. Hope you found that episode interesting. I thought it was great. Uh, as Johnny said, you can find out more on their website, greentomatocars.com, and you can follow them on their social media platforms at Green Tomato Cars. Pretty straightforward. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe so you can be the first to know uh, about next episodes that we put out. And also visit us on, on our social media pages, especially Instagram. It's at Sustainability Matters Today. Thank you so much and looking forward to speaking with you soon.